All right, everybody, we're on the line with the owner of the Boca Boxing District and striking coach at American Top Team, son of the 1976 Olympic gold medalist Howard Davis Jr., Daya Davis. How are you, Daya? I'm great, Mark. Good to catch up with you once again, man. Yeah, good to get you on. I always, uh, you're one of my favorite interviews to do, so anytime I can get you on, I definitely want you on here. Awesome, man. Um, well, I guess we'll start out with, you know, what everybody's looking forward to on July 10th, the big trilogy fight, you know, Poirier versus McGregor three. They're both one and one, both coming off of knockout victories over each other. Um, do you feel like this is the biggest fight of your coaching career in terms of just the magnitude of this trilogy fight? And if it is, what feels different about this than their second fight at 257? I would definitely say it's definitely um, my biggest fight in my coaching career. Um, what feels differently about this one? I can honestly say I, I feel like this is the best Dustin Poirier that I'm uh, bringing forward July 10th. Um, not to say that he wasn't the best Dustin Poirier. Every fight, I feel like he's the best Dustin Poirier. But um, this fight, he's just sound in mind and body. Um, he knows what he's capable of. And he's never been more confident, more secure in his own abilities mm -hmm. than now. Would you say that leading up to that second fight, he was a little bit more nervous than going into this one? Because now, obviously, he got that win. And getting the win by knockout, we talked about it on our last interview right after that fight. That kind of, you know, took the weight off of his shoulders because he was able to show like, hey, you you knocked me out in the first fight. Like, I'll get you at a better point in the, in our careers, you know, so... Do you feel like he's a little bit less nervous and maybe a little bit more confident going into this fight than the last one, or no? I'd say so. I think uh, going into the to the second fight, um, there's always that that doubt. You know, you, you're going into a fight um, against the guy who knocked you out. You know, so there's always a possibility of that happening again. I mean, even in the third fight, it, this is a fight. You know, both guys. You know, uh, uh, if they show up healthy, um, you know, they're able body. They're both great specimens of athletes and fighters anything is possible in that cave yeah. so you know when when a guy knocks you out the first time there's always that that doubt in the back of your head of course it happens again but we try to dot all the eyes and cross the teeth to make sure it doesn't happen to the best of our ability and uh you know we walked out of there victorious the second fight and we plan on doing the same thing um in less than what nine days yeah yeah nine days from today yeah, well, as we said, you know, the definitely the biggest fight of the year. I can't see anything happening this year that's bigger than this. And, uh, you know, if Dustin pulls it off or if he knocks out McGregor again and goes two and one, if wins a decision, wins a gritty decision, submits him, however he gets it done, he seems to have Oliveira lined up in, in, his, uh, in his sights next. You know, Oliveira's in the scope and he's going to get that title shot. You know, you win this one, there's really nothing else to do. You beat McGregor, you go back to get that belt. Um, what do you think of Oliveira as a fighter and just in terms of his improvements as a striker? Because when he came into the game, he was more of all about the jujitsu, all about the grappling, all about tying you up and submitting you. But, I mean, you saw from that Chandler fight, you know, the only reason he landed that shot before Chandler was because his was a little bit shorter and a little bit cleaner. And uh, he caught him on the chin and he dropped him. So what do you think of Oliveira as a fighter and his overall improvements when it comes to the striking? I think Oliveira is a, is a solid guy. Um, 
definitely improved um, his striking. Technically, he looks, you know, very sound. Um, but I think when it comes to the nitty gritty, I don't think, you know, he's not going to want to stand in and bang with a guy. He knows that, that that's not his forte. Yeah. He is, you know, his strength, his, his striking definitely has improved, you know. Um, you know, it goes to show he knocked out Chandler. Um, but I, I think if the fight got ugly um, in a, in a, a stand-up exchange, you know, DP knocks his socks off easily. Yeah, I think uh, when I was when I was breaking down the fight with Chandler and Oliveira leading up to it, I figured that you know the only way Chandler wins that fight is if he catches him early and hurts him because you know every time in the past where Oliveira has gotten hurt or you know the fight was not wasn't going his way, he's never been able to come back from it. Every time somebody gets him on the back foot, every time somebody's pushing him back and hurts him, he's never been able to come back. Um, I think that. This fight, if if Chandler would have let him up, he probably would have finished that fight. But he went into the to the grappling and let him recover, and he was able to come back. But I think that would be a much more a much tougher task against a guy like Dustin, who's got you know switch stance, five, six, seven, eight punch combinations, and you know we never really see Dustin. I don't think we've really seen him get tired in any of his fights. You know, I mean, he's got great conditioning. Um... You know, I think all individuals at some point will, will get tired. Mm-hmm. He's better at uh, at masking it than most. Right. Uh, he's got great conditioning. Um, there's no doubt about it. But he just knows how to push through. Yeah, 100. percent He's uh, he's got the grit to push forward even when the things aren't going his way. And I think that could definitely play a factor in this trilogy fight as well. Um, because you know Connor can push through. You know, there's been times in the Diaz fight where he pushed through, but I think that was more kind of Diaz kind of like getting his foot off the gas more than, you know, Connor being able to push through it. Because we saw in the Pori in the Dustin fight in the rematch, he he did he did well in the first round. He came back. Um Dustin was constantly landing that check hook and that low kick. And once he smelled blood in the water, I mean, it was basically over from there. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Dustin is you know, in my opinion, the best finisher in mixed martial arts um, is, it, like you said, he's a shark in the water. If he smells blood, it's over. You know, I equate how Dustin finishes guys to how Sugar Ray Leonard used to finish guys in, you know, in, in his career. If, if Sugar Ray got you hurt, he was not stopped. He would not stop throwing punches until he put you away. And that's the same with Dustin. Mm-hmm. If, if you're hurt, he's not going to stop until a referee jumps in and pulls them off him. Yeah, a hundred percent. And we've seen that multiple times. I mean, in the fight against Alvarez, in the fight against Gaethje, I think the Gaethje fight is probably one of my favorite fights Dustin's ever had because there was points where he was getting chewed up with those low kicks. But even when he got hit with some of those low kicks in that fight, he would come back with a three, four, five punch combo, like off of the low kick and kind of step into range off of the low kicks. And I mean, that fight was insane. I'd love to see them get matched up again at some point in the future. Yeah, that'd, that'd be a great fight for sure. Um, you know, what is something, and I'm sure you might have been asked this before, but you've been around Connor, you've been around him for fight week, you've been around him, you know, preparing Dustin for the fight. What is something you may have picked up on being around Connor that may have surprised you. It could be how effective a technique was against him, but I, I don't really expect you to get into game plans and anything for your fight. But 
um, you know, being around him, a technique that worked for him or just something about his mentality and his energy that maybe surprised you compared to some other guys? You're saying that uh, a technique that worked against, uh, worked for him against us? No, no, no. I'm saying like, if, what is something you might've picked up on like that surprised you about Connor? It could be something in the fight against Dustin, like a technique that works that you didn't think would work so well, or it could be just something in general, like, you know, being around him, his mentality, you know, leading up to the fight. Was there something that surprised you about Connor that maybe doesn't get talked about enough? Um, I won't say anything really surprised me. Um, you know, definitely in the second meeting, um, you know, he was always confident. Uh, he was always confident, always confident, always brash. Um, we didn't get a lot of that in the second fight. You know? Right. Obviously, years have gone by. Both both gentlemen have grown tremendously. Um, both family men now. Um, what, what I would say maybe I noticed different is, you know, just not that that cocky, in-your-face, angry, you know, seemingly Irishman, you know, chewing on your neck and letting you know that he's here to fight. And yeah. That. Um, but, you know, still still game. Still very game. Still very dangerous. Uh, there's no doubt about it. I mean, shit, he dropped Diaz probably, what, three or four times in their second matchup? Yeah. Um, you know, just everybody knows that Connor's dangerous in the first Two rounds. If you get past the second round, yeah, you know, chances are, um, the fight starts. To, it could favor you. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. Um, you know, uh, an area that I think could be big for Dustin or just really play out in this fight more than the previous two matchups is that single collar clinch. I think that's an area where Dustin is so good at landing. You know, those uppercuts and those hooks and working the body is the single collar clinch. Do you feel like making this fight a dirty fight and, you know, clinching up um, single collar, you know, over unders. Do you think that that is vital? Like making it a dirty fight, getting in the dirty boxing range and just kind of dictating the pace to get Connor out of his. Yeah. Can you hear me? Hello? Can you hear me? Yeah. I lost you for a second. Oh, okay. Um, what I was saying is the single collar clinch, um, do you think that's an area where Dustin can have a lot of success in this fight? Because we've seen in previous matchups, once he gets that single collar, you know, it's uppercuts, it's hooks, you know, multiple punch combinations, you know, ending with kicks and stuff. Do you think that in this fight, that making it a dirty fight or making it in that dirty boxing style is vital for kind of getting Connor out of his rhythm? Yeah, I mean, Connor's definitely... Um... You know, he's a counterpuncher. He's he's a guy who likes to sit back and let you throw a shot so he can fall back and miss. So you can fall back and miss, and he'll he'll counter with that too. Um, it's not very often that you see him coming forward, being the aggressor. Um, and if he is, he's just trying to get you off your mark and off your game plan, um, so he can put you ultimately put you in a position where he can land his shots effectively. Um, but you know, go, going into the second fight, we just we wanted to make it ugly. You know, make, make a, a rough and tough fight for him, you know, um, exhaust him a little bit and then see where the fight takes us from there. You know, I, I think, uh, again, one of Dustin's great strengths is his gas tank. And, um, 
you know, he doesn't lose power, you know, going into to the fourth and fifth round. He doesn't lose power. So, you know, if you're still in there and you're still exchanging with, with Dustin in the fourth and fifth round, chances are there's a good chance that he sits you down. Yeah. And he, he either TKOs you or KOs you. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Um, I'd like to get your thoughts on, uh, the Francis Ngannou heavyweight championship win. Um, you know, I think there was a difference in Francis in the fight, in the rematch against Stipe than any other fight we've seen before. It seemed like he was a lot more patient. It seemed like his boxing technique had improved like so much more from any of any of any other fights. Like it seemed like his technique was a lot cleaner. His punches were a lot sharper. Um, what did you feel about that performance against Stipe? Yeah, I agree. Uh, he definitely looked 100% more poised. Um, and instead of, you know, making the fight happen, he kind of just sat back and 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 kind of let it play out how it should. You know, just, just be patient. Pick the right shots. Pick the right spots to um, capitalize on. And, and he did. He, he ultimately still got the knockout, but he just looked so much more cleaner doing it. Yeah, um, and... Another thing, I mean, his takedown defense, you know, that was something that I think a lot of people seem to worry about in this fight because in the right. first fight, once he got in on Ngannou's hips, I mean, the fight was basically over. After that first takedown, I mean, it was just takedown after takedown after takedown after takedown, and uh, obviously it led to the fight that we saw, but in this fight, I mean, he stuffed the head, he spun and took the back and started landing his punches. And he landed an uppercut, I think, on the break off of like the takedown stuff. And then that's kind of just where the beginning of the end started. So do you feel like once that takedown missed, that was kind of just like the beginning of the end? Yeah, you know, I, I think Ngano, he's no doubt only strong. Um, he's game, but he's very, he's unpolished. Mm -hmm. um, I think, you know, with, with the wins come confidence. Um, with the with the after the win, you go back into camp and you you continually learn, you know. And he's still learning. And that's that's the that's the benefit to him. Yeah. Um, I'm not I'm not even sure how old Ngano is, but you know he's getting better. Mm -hmm. Um, and again, he's still learning. He'll still gain tremendous experience. They say once you win the belt, somehow your your game elevates. Yeah. You know, just just from confidence alone, uh -huh. you're you're now the champ. You're now the guy to beat. You know, targets on your back. So, um, you want to make sure that you're you're constantly continuing to grow. And I think you know, with that first loss to Stipe, um, he knew what it is that he had to work on. You know, um, he's also influenced by um, his count his counterpart, which is uh, Usman. You know, mm -hmm. you know another another fellow champion. Mm -hmm. Another good model to, to model after. So, you know, you work on some of the things. You listen to these guys. You work on those that you feel like needs to be worked on. Mm -hmm. And then better. You grow as an athlete. You grow as a fighter. Yeah. Um, if they were to match up, you know, the big fight everybody seems to want to see is Jones and Ngannou. Um, I think that could be one of the biggest fights in MMA of all time. If they were to match up, do you feel he beats Jones just like he beats everybody else? Or do you think it's a little bit closer than people might think? I definitely think it's a lot closer than people think. Um, Ngannou's got, he's got power and 
not, not only got power, he's got put you to sleep power. Yeah. Um, I think Jones in the later stages of his career has become a little bit more courageous, you know, a little bit more stand in the pocket ish. And, and Gano's not a guy that you can do that with. Yeah. He touched you on the chin, you were going night night. Yeah. Uh, I, I hope at some point that, that, that fight gets made because, I mean, it's basically, I mean, John could literally fight a 24 minute and 30 second perfect fight. And if Nganu lands one shot, he's going to knock him out. I mean, that's with anybody. Exactly. Um, do you think at some point we see that? Or do you think Jones is kind of on his way out of MMA? I mean, for the sake of the sport, I hope we see it. Um, but again, I I like Jones's attitude and taking the time to, to build his body to make sure that he's in proper heavyweight form. He's just not rushing into it because this is what the fans want to see. Mm-hmm. Um, what's it been now? He's been away from the sport. Uh, can I tell you when his last fight was? I think it was, uh, it was, what's his name? Wasn't it Reyes? Uh, I think it was Reyes at 247, right before like the Corona thing started. Okay. So, you know, more than a year and a half, almost two years now. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he's doing the right thing by building his body into heavyweight form. Um, but I, I think in in that process of doing that, he should still be in competition. Like, yeah. yes, we know we know what you're getting ready for in Ghana, but how about another solid heavyweight? You know, put you in there with another solid heavyweight. You know, mm-hmm. just to kind of test the waters, see how you feel in there. You know, don't don't just jump right up into the fight that everybody wants to see. Mm-hmm. I think that he should, uh, you know, kind of expose his heavyweight stature now, uh, get his feet wet, and and see what it's like to be in there against these guys. Yeah, I think he should have had to fight Stipe. I think if he went in there, fought Stipe, won that fight, and then fought Ngannou, then it, I mean, it's still going to be a huge fight either way. But at least we would kind of know what we're getting into when he moves up to heavyweight. Yeah, I mean, you know, the UFC does what they want. This, yeah. They don't, they, Pay attention to the ranking system these days. I would really like to see Jones fight anyone in the top ten. I mean, yeah. Ultimately, the fight with Ngano is going to happen, but you know, let's at least act like he's going <laughs> to go through yeah. rankings. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Guys just, they just bypass. They do whatever they want. Yeah, I really mean, unfair to the other athletes who are who are competing on a daily basis and you know thinking that they're working their way to the ranking system, but in the, at the end of the day, they're just getting overlooked. It's yeah. all about who's more marketable. Yeah. It's all about the, it's all about the money right now. Okay, I mean, they made that fight with, uh, Lewis and Cyril gone. I mean, I, I can't believe that they would make an interim title for Ngannou when he literally just won the belt in, what was it? March? I think it was March. Three months ago. We're in July. Yeah. Yeah. July, so, I mean, you know what? Stipe held on to the title for a year before, before defending. Yep. Right? Yep. It's yeah. It's just unfair, man. It's un. It's unfair. Um, what's the point of having an interim? You know, they, they know that either one, either one of those guys is guaranteed to touch out after that. So, what's the point of putting a title on the line? Yeah, I don't. I don't really like interim titles to begin with. I mean, unless the champion's been gone for like a long time. 
like then I think it's important. And you're still winning a championship, but it's like if the guy just fought what three months ago, just make the fight. If he's out for less than a year, then you're you're fine. I don't I don't get it, but yeah. All right, well we'll get back to kind of the the technical talk. Um, how important do you think working the body? body work, you know, cutting angles and working the body. How important is body work in MMA? Do you think it's kind of the foundation uh, or a cornerstone of the MMA striking game so you can be successful? Or what do you feel like maybe the differences are between body work in mixed martial arts and setting up body shots for boxing? Um, you know, I just think that the, the risk and danger is – um, definitely a little bit more difficult in MMA. You know, you get close to the body, you can risk a takedown, uh, you can risk a knee. Um, you know, positioning is key. I think positioning is key. I think, uh, you know, if you got a guy's back up against the cage, then all good. You know, you're, you're there to fire body shots. Um, in the center of the cage, is a little bit different. Unless you've closed the distance with a couple other punches yeah. put yourself in position to throw body shots I think uh, I think guys um, most guys in MMA don't have the proper understanding of distance and when to um, when to really actually throw a body shot mm-hmm. but you know the game is constantly evolving guys are getting better um, MMA has almost become it's become more of a demand on, on stand up action you know I think a lot of people want to see or the encouragement for stand-up action has become quite more than, you know, a Khabib style, you know, lay on you and ground and pound and, mm-hmm. you know, look to finish. Yeah, and it's kind of... It's kind of... prior to him leaving, like, you could see that his involvement with his striking was getting better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. He, I mean, when you compare, like, the Iaquinta fight, his striking from there, and then you compare that to his final fight with Gaethje, I mean... It looked like a different fighter on the feet. It wasn't impressive striking. It wasn't like, you know, super clean technical punches, but it looked so much better than what it did before. Right. And he pressed, I mean, even in the Gaethje fight, he pressed the action. He was the one going forward. Um, You know, he he established a good jab. You know, he's landing clean strikes. But because his his wrestling is, is so on par, he's got, he's got everybody worried about his wrestling. And people forget about his striking. Yeah, I'm actually surprised he didn't, like, get a knockout in his rise to the top. I mean, he did early in his career, but I'm surprised he didn't end up catching somebody just because they were so worried about the takedown. Like, his uppercut or that overhand that he caught Connor with, you know, the only reason he landed that shot is because, you know, he faked that takedown. Connor tried to pull back and counter with the two and then just came right over the top and dropped him. Yeah. I just think what Khabib has been working so successfully for him for probably 92% of his career was his wrestling. You know, I don't think he really started to focus on the striking until much later on. I think once guys were starting to get a little bit better of defending the takedowns, and you know, he, had to, he knew he had to focus a little bit more on the striking. But he definitely got better before, before ultimately leaving the sport. Yeah, and uh, one thing about that Gaethje fight, I wasn't even planning on getting into talking about Khabib, but... Once he locked up that triangle, I mean, it was literally like four seconds and Gaethje was out. Like, 
it was immediately. I've never, I don't think I've ever seen like a submission when it comes to that, like a triangle. Usually it takes, you know, at least like 30 seconds to a minute for you to start going out. But he literally turned the corner. Gaethje started tapping. And before the ref even saw it, he was already out cold. What do you expect? The guy used to wrestle bears. He's, <laughs> he's strong, man. Swimming against currents, is, he's strong, bro. Yeah, 100%. Um, uh, one thing I'd like to touch on with you is, you know, we saw in the fight against Connor with Dustin, and this can go to any other fighter in mixed martial arts. There's a lot of guys now that will faint that stance switch. Like, they'll be... In Southpaw, for example, they'll send, they'll throw a punch and they'll fake that step into orthodox, but then they'll step right back into Southpaw. Um, what is the importance of faking that stance switch? We saw it with Dustin against Connor where he was going to try to throw that switch stance overhand right that he's landed so many times. And he kind of threw out that left hand and then he stepped forward and then he stepped right back into Southpaw. Do they do that in terms of striking to kind of get the opponent to get on the wrong angle so that they're circling into the power thinking that it's going to come from the opposite side, or is it more just to get them to stand still and square their stance? No, I just think, um, you know, when guys switch and especially if it's coming off a faint, you know, a faint is just a, it's going to put a guy in a, a defensive posture. You know, if, if you're thinking defense, you're not thinking offense. You're thinking about, I need to defend on, I need to defend what's possibly coming at me. Yeah. Um, so if you're in a defensive posture, um, you know that that just freezes you, freezes you momentarily. And if you're stuck in that position long enough, then the guy can ultimately get to the side that he wants to get to. Um, you know, if, if it could be his power side um, and land an effective strike. So it's more just to freeze the opponent up, you think, so that they can land their the punches that they want to land. Exactly. All right. Um, you know, there's a lot of fighters on this Poirier and McGregor three card. I mean, there's a lot of good fights, even on the prelims. There's a lot of prospects on this card. And uh, I mean, there was going to be a fight between Sean Brady and Kevin Lee. That was a fight I was really, really looking forward to. I think that was probably one of my favorite fights on that undercard. But that, that, be at five or 70? that was going to be at 70. Lee was That's moving up to 70. What happened with the fight? Uh, Lee got an injury and they pushed it back. So now it's going to be at the end of August. But uh, I mean, that's that was a huge fight, I think. And uh, was there any prospects you were looking at? I mean, there's Ilya Tapori on there. He's 10 and 0, I think now. Um, a really big prospect in MMA. Was there anyone on that card that you were looking for or looking forward to probably seeing the fight when you're there with Dustin? To be completely honest, I don't even know who's on the card. I know, <laughs> I know, Burns and Thompson. Yeah, is the name. But besides that, you know, I've only been focused on my guy, and right? Making sure he's in top form and ready to go and seal this trilogy, man. Yeah, uh, yeah. I didn't, I didn't know who else was on the card. To be honest, to be honest with you, completely honest. Well, hey, that's completely understandable. I mean, you're focused on the biggest fight on the card, and you got to worry about your guy more than anybody else. So. Uh, here. Um, all right. So we were talking about, you know, just the other fights on the card and, you know, you're worried about Dustin, obviously. So you don't really even know who else is on the card, but you did mention to me 
the Stephen Thompson and Gilbert Burns fight. Um, I'd like to get your perspective on that fight in terms of who you think is going to win. I have an idea of how I think the fight's going to play out, but what do you feel? How do you feel that fight's going to go in terms of the overall contest between Burns and Wonderboy? Honestly, it's I believe it's up to all up to Wonderboy. It depends on what Wonderboy shows up. If if the Wonderboy shows up, who's fleet of foot, good timing, um, good movement, good defense, can be first, can be last, then I think Thompson will easily walk away with uh, a decision. But if he gets close to Gilbert, I think we're, you know he's in a whole other world. You know, Gilbert, Gilbert obviously wants to. If I'm if I'm Gilbert and his team, I, I'm thinking that he needs to stay close. He has to press the action. He has to try to grapple uh, Thompson and again get him tired uh, to stop his mobility and to ultimately come come away with a victory. Do you think that if it stays on the feet, there's no way? I mean, obviously Gilbert can catch you with a with a shot. He's got a lot of power. He can land those overhands, but. Against Wonder Boy, I mean, that's like trying to find a diamond in a mine. I mean, it's kind of hard to, to catch Wonder Boy. Obviously, we saw Woodley catch him at the end of their fight, one of their fights. And then we've seen um, Tom uh, Pettis obviously land that crazy Superman punch off the cage and catch him circling away. But, I mean, I think it's kind of just a, an uphill battle for Burns. If Wonder Boy shows up, I think this is a fight where we see him get a finish. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, we should. I guess we'll see. I mean, Gil, Gilbert is game. There's no doubt about it. I mean, he he uh, he, he hurt Usman, no? Yeah, he did. Yep. Right, hurt Usman. Um, you know, he's he's definitely solid. He's solid on the feet as well, and he's got power. I think he can definitely get it done. It's a it's a pick em fight for me. Yeah, it's it's definitely a great fight, and I'm happy that that was the co-main event because originally I think the co-main event was scheduled to be Greg Hardy and two of Asa. And I'm like, how are you going to put that above Wonder Boy and Burns? But luckily that's going to be the co-main event. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, one thing I think we have to discuss because it's been pretty evident recently, and this will go into another question. The Logan Paul, Floyd Mayweather, Jake Paul, Woodley, whole thing. I don't want to spend a whole ton, a lot of time on it because I think the whole thing's stupid, but um, what do you make of the whole, what did you think of the Logan and Floyd fight? And how do you see the Woodley and Jake Paul fight going? I thought Logan, Logan had a, uh, he had a great training camp. He had a, a great game plan and he definitely brought the best Logan Paul to the event. Um, I don't think Floyd expected that. I think he, you know, he knew he was, undersized he knew what he had to do and i think floyd also had the right game plan i think that um floyd's game plan was to pressure you know keep coming forward this guy has rarely heard around five around six or even been in there enough times um to really get acclimated to the sport in that way but logan showed up in great shape great condition and i think he surprised floyd um, you know, not only with his with his size, but with his skill set. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I just think, you know, as a as a fan, you know, a lot of people complain, oh, Paul shouldn't be fighting; they shouldn't be getting this this much attention. And 
Um, the fight with Floyd shouldn't be shouldn't have got that much attention. It's an exhibition. Um, to to Floyd's defense, he's given us twenty five plus years of of his life. Yeah. Uh, uh, in regards to boxing, and uh, you know he's retired. He's, there's no doubt about it. He's retired now. You know, it should a guy who's retired, mm-hmm. but still young enough to get out there and, and do what he loves. Maybe not in competitive form, but as an exhibition, still get paid shit load a shit ton of money to do it. Uh, yeah, why not? You know, I think at the end of the day, it's mm-hmm. it's entertainment, and for the fans who are able to dissect and, and who are able to separate the two, you know, if you're a real enthusiast, you know what it is that you're looking at. You know you're watching a little bit of a joke of a bout. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's, it's one of the, it could be one of your favorite fighters, you know, somebody that you enjoyed watching for 18 plus years. Um, and why not see him go out there and have a little fun and see what he has left, you know? I think with the exhibition, if Floyd were to go out there if you were to go out there and do extremely well, it just leaves you like, wow, I wonder what, how he would do against, uh, you know, one of today's fighters, like an Errol Spence or um, possibly a second matchup with Pacquiao. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think that's I think that's what Floyd wanted to go out there and do, but unfortunately wasn't able to get it done. I think his age showed in that bout. Um, and again, I think, I think Logan... And his team, I, I know his trainer very well, Milton. Mm-hmm. I, I think they had a great game plan. Um, they used their size and, and height to their advantage. They leaned on Floyd. Mm-hmm. You know, I, didn't, I think he has some, some background in wrestling as well. So, you know, the clinch worked for him very well. And, uh, you know, actually, I, I was actually surprised by, by Logan. Yeah, that's uh, that's one thing. I, I thought, you know, going into the fight, I mean, I, I wasn't excited to see it because I figured Floyd was just going to, you know, walk right through him and kind of play, kind of just play with his food a little bit. I figured it was going to be, he'll probably go the full distance and try to finish him at the end. But I mean, the only way Logan was going to get anything done in that fight was just holding, clinching, you know, pushing him up against the ropes. And, you know, a lot of people were kind of complaining about the fight, saying it was boring. It was this, it was that, but it's like, do you really expect Logan Paul to stay on the outside and go, you know, punch for punch and try to counter Mayweather? That's not going to happen. He's got to. He's got to be dumb, but he's not stupid. Yeah, exactly. You got to get him. Go out there and compete with some of the one of the greatest, um, one of the greatest fighters of our generation, you know, possibly of all time, and think he's going to go out there and outbox him. Like, I don't think that was the case. No, but his game, his game plan worked to his. To his benefit, and uh, you know, he walked out of there, didn't get knocked down, didn't get hurt at all. Yeah. He made twenty plus million dollars. Floyd made a hundred plus million dollars, mm-hmm. and everybody's happy. And they live to get, they live to do it again if they want to. Yeah, exactly. And I, I gained, I gained a little bit more respect for Logan after that fight because he was able to last the full distance. He was able to get in close and clinch up Mayweather, like we said, and kind of make it. That was the only way he was going to get anything done. So. I mean, I gained a little bit of respect for him. Not to say I like the Paul brothers or anything like that, but they definitely earned my respect a little bit more. Agreed. Agreed. I, I agree with you on that. Yeah. Gain my, would I go out and watch another Logan Paul fight? Mm, depends on who they're up against. Yeah. You, you, you could not be the first to sign me up to do it. Yeah, 100%. Um, what do you think about the Woodley and Jake Paul fight? And I saw Woodley's actually working with 
Floyd. There was uh he posted. Yeah. So, what do you think about that? What do you think? How do you think that's gonna play out? Oh man, I think uh, for the sake of the combat community, I hope Woodley is able to get it done. Me too. <laughs> yeah, I really do. But uh, listen, I mean, Jake is putting in the work. It's obvious. Um, you know, he's been training. He's been at this for probably about about three years now. Um, listen, if if anyone is if anyone puts their mind to something and is very serious and dedicated at a at a specific craft. It's definitely possible for him, um, you know, to achieve good merits in it, and I think that's what that's what Jake is doing. He's not cutting any corners. He's hired some some good trainers. Um, he's got former cruiserweight champion BJ Flores, who has a wealth of knowledge. Um, Jaylen Love, who I know personally, um, you know, former top ranked super middleweight, mm-hmm. um, also has a wealth of knowledge. You know, these knowledge that knowledge can be passed on and. Um, you know, what they're implementing is obviously being executed. And, I, you know, Jake is he's doing good. You know, yeah. if he's lived as a fighter or of a fighter, then there's no reason why, you know, he can't do well. Listen, most fighters, when they first start, you know, they're, they're not fighting top tier. Yeah. You're, you're gradually getting, your competition is gradually getting better each time out. So... You know, the boxing community can't really be mad at, at what Jake is doing. Yeah, he's calling out MMA fighters, but, I mean, these guys have had years of success or whatever, whatever it was that they were doing, regardless of not, regardless of not whether or not, um, you know, striking was their forefront, mm-hmm. definitely part of their craft. So, you know, most of the guys that Jake Paul has fought, you know, have that job. Yeah, I, uh, I agree with you. I think, uh, I think it's it speaks a lot for his confidence to want to go up against a Woodley. And I know a lot of people are going to say Woodley's washed, Woodley just got finished, Woodley this, Woodley that. The only people that Woodley ever lost to were the top of the top in that division, including right. Vicente Luque, because I think that guy can be the champion at 170. Vicente Luque, he's solid, man. He's solid. I mean, you know, I've had an opportunity to watch him for many years. I mean, he was one of the guys – who, uh, who was in the, uh, was what, us, uh, top team versus the Black Zillions. So, yep, yep. Um, he fought Haider Hassan. I can't remember who else he fought, but he's a solid guy. Yeah. Uh, he so, fought Usman, didn't he? Or no? No, no. No. No, no, no. Usman was on. Wait, was Usman on his team for the Ultimate Fighter, right? Yes. Yeah, and then it was Usman and Haider Hassan, I think, was the finale. Right. Right, right. Right. I got to talk to Hyder on this podcast before. He's a, he's an awesome dude. He was actually the first interview I ever did. So, no way. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, he was, he's, good he's a good dude. And, uh, you know, in that fight against Luke, I mean, a lot of people don't know that he's got a win over Luke. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, I don't know. I love Luke. I think, I think Luke and Masvidal should be next, but he's obviously, he's got, uh, they just announced a fight for him. Oh, Michael Chiesa. He's fighting Chiesa next. Okay. I think Luke takes that. Me too. I think I think that's a pretty easy fight for Luke, to be honest. But if you can avoid if you can avoid the takedown. Yeah. If you can avoid the jujitsu, then you're good. But I mean, 
I feel like it's gonna it's gonna kind of play out similar to how Pettis beat Kiesa. Always get the right matchups. Who? Kiesa. He, he always seems to get. Uh, oh, I would I wouldn't say a favorable matchup is a favorable one. Yeah. This is a real fight, but for the most part, um, his matchups. Yeah. Pretty solid. He always seems to be in there with somebody who can put him in position to do something. It's it's I can't believe he beat RDA. Like that's a fight I thought for sure Dos Anjos was gonna beat him. And he just dominated him. Like he with the wrestling and the grappling. I mean he dominated Neil Magny. So the guy's good. He's got if he can get the wrestling game and the jujitsu going, he can be a problem for a lot of guys. But I feel like Luke's I feel like what's gonna happen is Luke's gonna catch him on the feet. And drop him and then lock him in that Darce choke and submit him. I mean, I think it's going to play pretty similar to the Woodley fight. Not in terms of style, but the way it goes, I think he's going to catch him and then submit him. Um, one of the last questions I have, and it kind of goes off the Logan Paul and Mayweather and all the Paul brothers and everything. You got the chance to work with Mayweather in the past or work at the Mayweather Boxing Club, I believe, correct? That is correct. Um, what was it like getting to work with the Mayweathers, whether it was Floyd, whether it was, you know, Roger Mayweather? What was it like getting to work with the Mayweathers and see their training styles and everything like that? Walk me through that a little bit. So I had the opportunity to work with Floyd Sr. Okay. Um, and I met, well, prior to, prior to working with Floyd, I met Roger um, one time, and I believe it was the the Mandalay Bay, and I recognized him. I said, "Oh man, it's Roger Mayweather. Let me introduce myself, man." So I walked to him. I said, "Roger, hey, how you doing, man?" I said, yeah, "I just want to let you know you're, you know, you're a great fighter. I think you're doing great with Floyd. I want to introduce myself. My name is Dia Davis. I said I'm son of Howard Davis, and he stopped me. He said, "Howard Davis, your daddy?" <laughs> I said, "I said yeah." He says, you know who your daddy is? I was like, yeah. <laughs> he was like, your daddy, my favorite fighter. <laughs> I was like, he's like, yeah, man. He's like, I watch your dad do all throughout the Olympics. And I was in Vegas at the time. This was 2008. I was in Vegas at the time. Um, my management was setting me up to train with Floyd okay. Sr. Mm -hmm. And I said, oh, man. He's like, uh, he's like, are you fighting? And I said, yeah. At the time, I think I was like 14 and one. And one. Uh, he said, man, I would love to train you. I said, well, believe it or not, I'm actually here to train my brother. Said, oh, man. Talk to your management, man. <laughs> your, dad, your daddy was my favorite fighter, man. He's like, I'm out of myself after your dad. And, you know, I always wanted to move like him and, and box like him. I said, man, you had a lot of knockouts, you know. Uh, not uh, My dad My dad was known as a boxer. He was not known as a knockout artist. <laughs> Roger Mayweather, the Black Mamba, he was known as a knockout artist. So, you know, kind of, they kind of baffled me a little bit. You know, my dad was more of like a sweet scientist, you know, like he beat you up with a smile, you know. Yeah. You, yeah, you know, not necessarily look for the, for the knockout, but if it was there, he went for it. But Roger was, he was a guy like, he went out there with the intent to knock you out. Yeah. So for him to say that he, my dad was his favorite father was, my dad was his favorite fighter. Um, was, well, yeah, it was great to hear. It was definitely great to hear. Um, so I worked with Floyd Sr. I trained with Floyd for about a year. And 
Um, I also had an opportunity to work with Jeff. Okay. Now, Jeff would Jeff would visit American Top Team and train Muhammad Law, aka King Mo. Okay. And uh, you know, whenever he was down or in town, I, I would work with Jeff. That's 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 pretty awesome, man. I mean, even getting the chance to say you worked with any of the Mayweathers, especially Floyd Senior and Jeff Mayweather, you know, I'm sure that's a big that that gives you some pride, you know, in in that's a big moment for your career, I would say. Getting to work with the Mayweathers, I mean, some of the best boxers in arguably the best boxer of all time. Right. I mean, I, I will say I've I've definitely had, you know, my my slew of great trainers. You know, my dad set in the foundation. Right. Um, I work with. Uh, I, I, I want. It's like I, sometimes I, I hate saying that I work with them, but I love them to death. Panama Lewis. Okay. Just passed, passed away about a couple. I say a couple of years ago now, year and a half maybe. Um, Panama Panama Lewis was kind of like the uh, dark horse in boxing. Okay. Um, he was most known for the Alexis Quayle and Aaron Pryor fight. Okay. And uh, in the 14th round of the first fight, he says, uh, give me that bottle. And in the corner, you're only allowed water. So the corner's like, he, the corner hands him a bottle. He says, no, 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 not that bottle, the one that I make. So, again, if you're only allowed water, what what was mixed in that bottle? So yeah. Panama was the dark, the dark horse in in, uh, in boxing. He was actually banned from the sport. And another fight, it was uh, Louis Resto and uh, I think it was Billy Collins. And uh, there was padding removed from Billy Collins' glove. Oh, okay. They don't know who did it, you know. But ultimately, Panama Lewis took took the fall for it. Uh, the other trainer, who I wanted, I, I can't, I don't know who the other trainer was. Mm-hmm. I want to say it was Ray Arcel. Um Ray Arcel was also the trainer of uh, Roberto Duran. Okay, I'm not, it was him. I don't remember. I don't. I don't even know if I recall if I was born at that time. Um, but anyway, so Panama Lewis was ultimately banned from the sport of boxing and was never allowed to work a corner again. Really? I with, yeah, I worked with him for about maybe about a year, year and a half. But he was the greatest motivator. Um. You could ever have you. I mean, you talk about a guy who wants to win. That was Panama Lewis. By all means, he wanted to win by any means necessary. Yeah, that that's interesting. Um, when you mentioned about getting the padding removed from the glove, I don't know if this is the the same story, but there was that whole like I, I don't know. There's a famous story about somebody getting the padding removed from the glove, and then the guy just beat the shit out of his opponent. I don't know if that was this fight, but. I can't think of who it was, but I remember hearing about it from like. I, I want to say that was the fight. So okay, um, Patty was removed from the gloves. Um, I think the fighter went into like a state of depression. He started drinking, and you know, ultimately drove himself off the cliff. Damn. Uh, I don't. I don't remember the indictment or how everything played out in the court of law, but. Again, Panama ended up being the only one who ever went to jail um, from the fight, you know, because of the fight. <laughs> That's crazy, man. I, I had no idea. <laughs> Jeez. Um. <laughs> Panama worked with my dad in the past for one of his fights. My dad fought a guy named Meldrick Taylor. Okay. He was an uh, Olympic gold medalist in the 84 game. Okay. 
Um, Panama worked with my dad for that fight. And they've, they've always been close um, after that. Um, my dad ended up, he got a draw, but he should have won the fight against Melvin Taylor. It was, you know, two gold medalists against each other. Mm-hmm. Gold medalist of the past of 76 and a gold medalist of 84. So Melvin Taylor was on his ride. He was a prospect. And, you know, a, a win over my dad would have been good to have on his resume. But anyway, my dad ended up, uh, the fight ultimately ended in a draw. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's man, that that was a good story. I've never I never knew like any of that. And I didn't know who Panama Lewis is, so thank you for <laughs> filling yeah. me in on that. Uh, you know now. Carlos Lewis. Carlos, Carlos Lewis. Lewis. All right, um, well I work with John David Jackson. Okay. Uh, another a great trainer. Um he worked with many, many champions. Uh Nate Campbell, Sergey Kovalev. Okay. Uh Clarissa Shields, uh, mm. working with currently. Yep. Uh, you know, tons of prospects. And then um, after John David, I worked with uh, Derek Santos. He was my, my last trainer. And he's got a, a fighter who's fighting, uh, I, I want to say it's the night before Dustin, July 9th. He's fighting Sullivan. Uh, the fighter's name is Sullivan Brera. And he's okay. fighting... Gilbert Ramirez, I believe his name is. Okay. Yeah, so I'll have something to do while I'm out in Vegas. <laughs> right. Um, all right. Well, my final question for you is probably one that I don't think it gets asked that often. It might now because we kind of know the after effects of fighting and everything. But when it comes to, you know, a life after fighting, when you put the gloves down and, you know, the gym lights are shut off and, you know, your career comes to an end. This goes for anybody, somebody you train, you know, any fighter. What's a piece of advice you'd give to some young up-and-coming fighters about, you know, making sure that you have a life after fighting? Man, you know, it's it's always difficult. You know, like when in, in the life of fighting, you're only focused on one thing, you know, and everyone wants to believe that they're going to be successful and what they're dev- devoting their time to every day. Yeah. Um, I think the transition, it doesn't come as easy to, to a lot of guys, man. I mean, a lot of guys don't know how to walk away from the sport. Some guys, unfortunately, stay in the sport too long. It's whether it's the sport retires them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, honestly, in my opinion, I think that's what's happening to Nate Diaz. Yeah, I, I, I would agree. It's, it's crazy that and his fans are his fans are obviously delusional. I mean, yeah. everyone. Um, <laughs> got it, brother. You can do it. I'm like, bro, the guy's washed. Yeah. He's tough. No doubt about it. He's tough. He's durable. Um but I th- I think it's over. Um But yeah, I, I think it's you know, when you know, if you if you get a little older, um, you should definitely start focusing on plan B. Um, you know, I was, I was fortunate enough. I, I always wanted to open up a gym, but during my time of fight, I was still coaching. You know, I would, I would be doing one-on-one sessions. Um, I was working at American Top Team. I was actually teaching classes to the general public. So I already kind of had my foot in the door. Um, and I knew I wanted to be surrounded by what I love and that was the, the sport of boxing. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I was I was fortunate enough to to open my 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 gym doors, and uh, 
you know, I've been successful at it thus far. Um, yeah. Two years, two and a half years into uh, my first business venture, and uh, it's doing great. Yeah. Yeah, I hope uh, I hope at some point I get to come down there and you know at least get in a class or work with you or something because I mean I've always wanted to I don't know I really like your coaching style and I think like for me I'm more about the coaches who are all about the technique and being smart in the cage which I mean every coach wants to be like that you know they don't want to tell their fighters to just go out there and brawl but with you I mean after I saw the Poirier and Holloway fight. Um, I, if somebody did an interview with you, I think it was the fight site is what the thing was. And I listened to the interview and it it was like explaining the, what you did and what you taught, like what Dustin saw leading up to the fight. And ever since then I was like, you know, (laughs) that's a guy I would want to get some work in with even, I mean, I'm not a fighter, obviously I'm just a fan and I've trained before, but I've always wanted to come down there and get some work in. I think it'd be interesting. Yeah, I think that's great, man. I think it's, I think it's great for, you know, guys who are involved in sport, whether it be journalists, reporters. I think it's good that they actually get there and pick it up. They have an idea mm-hmm. of what the fight through. You know, I think, um, you know, you see guys who write reports who, who may be negative about, you know, how a fight played out. If you don't really understand what it's like to be in there, yeah. even if it's not in a competitive form, but if you don't understand what it's like to be in um, some positions to where you have to overcome some mm-hmm. type of adversity to get yeah. out of that mm-hmm. that you're not comfortable in like you have no idea yeah so who is that person to criticize you know yeah 100 percent. and that's honestly part of the reason i started this whole podcast was obviously i don't fight i don't have a record or anything so i'm not going to sit here and act like i'm some amazing fighter but i mean i've trained mma and taekwondo for like 13 or 14 years so i figured like hey you know, everybody's out here get, doing these podcasts and have never trained, never done jujitsu, never been caught in a submission, never been, you know, tired in a sparring round. So I was like, if anybody could do this, I could do this. So I don't know. I figured there's a lot of people who do these that don't have the eye for detail. So that's something I wanted to bring to the whole podcasting game for MMA. <laughs> nice. Um, so you said you, you've done Taekwondo? What? So... I did Taekwondo for like a, a year, two years when I was a kid, but I've okay. done MMA since I was in fifth grade and now I'm 24. So I, I've been training for a long time. You're a young man. Yeah. Yeah. A young whippersnapper. Yeah. So um, I've always been into it. Obviously with the whole COVID thing, I've kind of been out of it for a little bit and I got hurt right before COVID happened. You? What happened? Where are you located? Where are you? I'm out here in Illinois. Illinois, okay. Yeah. You're in the sticks. Yeah, yeah, I'm out here. So um, I've wanted to come down and work with you. And then I've also talked to, uh, I'm sure you know the guys from like the New England cartel, like Tyson Chartier and uh, Rob Font, Kelvin Cater, you know all them? Uh, Rob Font, I know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I know. I've wanted to get out there and work with them too, but uh, I don't know. I just... I love the game, so I figured why not start a podcast on it, you know? <laughs> um, all right, well, I think that pretty much wraps up all the questions I had for you. Did you have any questions for me? No, man. No. All right, well, uh, I just want to obviously wish Dustin luck in 
the trilogy fight. It takes place on July 10th. And uh, good luck to you. And I hope everything goes well. Thank you very much, man. Thank you for bringing me on. I uh, I appreciate the, the great amount of questions you asked me. Um, always fun. Always a pleasure. And uh, look forward to speaking to you after the, after the match. Exactly. I'll get you on for sure. Thank you, Daya. Have a good day. You, Daya. you too.